0: And so here we are this morning, just two weeks until Christmas. Two weeks, uh, James has already said, be back here, we plan on being here, be here, you know, pajamas and a robe, you know, just, just make sure you're here Christmas morning, we'll worship together as family. Christmas is just around the corner. And with that being said, I think I can say that Christmas isn't for everyone. Now, I don't say that with the tone like, well, you know, Christmas isn't for everyone, like like kale chips or country music isn't for everyone. I, I say, I, I say with, a, a, <laughs> I say with a much more somber tone. Actually, sorry, now that I smile, that actually, uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas isn't for everyone. For those who are proud, for those who are self-reliant, self-righteous, self-assured. For those who are in no need of a savior, Christmas is not for them. And maybe, maybe just some of those traits that I just mentioned, I just described, are true of you here today. There have been plenty of times in my own life, a whole seasons, in fact, where I would say that some of those things guilty. And if you're sitting here today and the confidence you have is rooted in yourself, then the Christmas that we are going to be reading about, it isn't for you. But wait, you say, I've seen Charlie Brown's Christmas special, right? Linus comes out at the end, spoiler alert, and he says, I bring to you a a great message of good news and great joy that is for what? All people, all people. And he's talking about Christmas. How can you tell me that... Christmas isn't for everyone. Well, I wouldn't. Principally, Christmas is for everyone. The coming of Christ is good news of great joy for all people. But functionally, though, functionally, not all will receive it. You see, as our text is going to reveal to us today, for the proud, for the self-reliant, for those in no need of a Savior, the Christmas presented to Mary more than 2,000 years ago Well, it isn't for them. And maybe as we interact with this text this morning, while you may not think of yourselves in such harsh ways, in the terms that I described, you may come to realize that the Christmas that you've accepted isn't the Christmas that God has actually offered If that's the case, then I'd pray that God would shine a Christmas light into your heart this morning, our hearts together, so that we might come to hear and understand the kind of heart that readily receives the Christmas that God intended to give. To do this, we're going to be spending our time in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. I'd ask that you take your Bibles and turn there. If you're using a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, you'll find our passage on page 856. And we'll be hearing from the heart of two women for whom the heart of Christmas is so clearly demonstrated and in whose heart Christmas is so clearly demonstrated. Now, while the position I've presented, Christmas isn't for everyone, doesn't feel all that festive. Know that the passage that we're going to be looking at today offers us a contrast of hope. It's a passage that's intended to be read with exuberant joy because it comes on the heels of some great news, news that had been given to Mary after being visited by an angel named Gabriel. He had been sent by God to Nazareth to give her news that though a virgin, she would give birth as the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. And the son that she would bear would be called Holy, the Son of God. Likewise, though, through natural union, Mary's let in on some exciting news that a relative of hers, who was barren on top of that, older than most women would be to have children, was five months along. And the child that her cousin Elizabeth was carrying would prepare the people of Israel For Mary's son to come and proclaim the kingdom of good news, of great joy, and that it would be at hand. So if you haven't already, I'd ask that you take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 39, and allow the very reading of Scripture this morning to act as an aroma to your hearing, and may it bless you. Let's stand as we read God's Word together. Listen as I read. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Father, I I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would exploit our time in your word for your worship, for your praise, and for your honor today. Blessed are those who hear your word and obey it, so Father, remove whatever distraction my own words might bring to our hearing this morning, and do by your Spirit well up within our hearts humility and obedience, and we ask these things in the standing of Christ, amen. While men and women are the characters on the pages of our Bible, they aren't actually the stars of the show, God is. Everything in Scripture is telling us something about who God is. It's revealing his heart, his character, how he works. And there's something consistently unique about how God works throughout the course of history. He doesn't take the biggest, the strongest, the richest, the most powerful and use them as an example of his strength. No, he, he does the opposite of what you, have may, that you may have sweated through as a, as a kid in school when picking teams. If you're a guy and particularly not an athletic guy, then recess was a terrible time for you. The boys would gather and captains would be selected and teams would get picked. The strongest, the fastest, the most athletic would always get picked first. The big kids, today we're playing football they announced and I would be very afraid of course, the big kids, like I said, got chosen first. And by the end of it, you have captains who are essentially arguing over who has to take the liabilities on their team. It's okay, you can have the last two guys. I don't, I don't really need either, they would say. And I'd say, I, but I like to play. <laughs> and when we'd pick teams for football at recess, everyone knew who the first pick would be. Ryan Harper. Ryan never wanted to be captain, but he would be the first pick every single time. Amidst the group of us 12-year-old boys, Ryan was a man. I think he started shaving in kindergarten. We would routinely give him stuff just to see if he could break it. (laughs) He was this beast of a man-child, and if he was on your team, you won. If he wasn't, you got hurt. Give the ball to Ryan and then get out of the way was the wise course of action. Now, if you think about it, this style of team selection doesn't actually boast in favor of the strength or the skill of the captain. If anything, it exposes his weakness in that he needs a strong supporting cast if his team is to win. Without getting to choose ryan harper the end score is anything but secure but this is how middle school works and this is how we pick teams and it would be crazy to pick a team full of weak players and expect to win unless as captain you are the complete player And what we see throughout Scripture is that God, the ultimate captain, finds the obscure and makes them relevant for His glory. He finds the weak and He makes them strong for His purposes. He decides on those who have nothing and He gives them everything they will need to be successful for His end. He takes the humble and He makes them His pride. Just think about this with me for a moment. The different ways that God has worked in history. In the beginning, God created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into his lungs. Later, he chose Abraham, one guy, and said, From you I will bless all peoples of the earth. He took Joseph, the outcast brother, sold into slavery and raise him up to the second highest position in all of Egypt to save his people from, from starvation. And when we think about ancient Egypt, what do we think of? We think of pyramids, we think of Pharaoh, we think of mighty armies that can roll over nations. But who does God's story focus on? It zooms in on Hebrew midwives midwives that had been given orders to kill any male child born to Hebrew women, but who feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, and in so doing saved Moses, a boy who would become a stuttering man whose faith and willingness ebbed and flowed. But still God would raise him up and equip him to lead God's people out of Egyptian bondage and towards the promised land. God used Rahab, a woman whose history was of ill repute to save the skin of Israel's spies. And for such, she would be given a place in the lineage of Christ. And out of all of this, he took a small, fickle nation, Israel, and conquered enemies greater than they, richer than they, stronger than they, making her great for his glory. Who the captain picks says an awful lot about how strong, how powerful, and competent the captain really is. What the captain really values. And it's this power that's on display in our passage today. In both Mary and Elizabeth, oh, they know who they are and they know who they aren't. If Mary was to bear a king, what standing did she have? She was an unmarried teenage girl living in the backwater town of Nazareth. And John, it says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Elizabeth, who was she to receive an audience with the mother of the Savior of the world? But when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, she didn't think to herself, oh great, here's Mary, now i got to keep things hush-hush. Here I am, six months pregnant, i got to deal with this Doesn't she have other family that she could have stayed with? Doesn't she have somewhere else she could have gone? No. Instead, look to verse 41. In verse 41 it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth knew enough about society to know that she didn't rank either. And what was happening to her was an honor. In fact, she goes on to say this about Mary in verse 45, look there. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary was not chosen by God to carry God the Son because she was anything great. In classic fashion, God chose her because she was of humble estate. She was of low esteem. Her stature wasn't that of the popular among her. Because she believed God at His word. Who else other than someone of low esteem, when faced with the reality that they've been selected to bear the Son of God, would say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And for Mary, this blessing poured out on her by Elizabeth causes her to cry out, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on what? My humble estate. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I am nothing, and God is everything. Elizabeth and Mary are two women who were humble enough to know that they had done nothing to deserve what they were now a part of. They, the last picks, the teenage girl of Nazareth and the barren old woman had been chosen not last, but first. Oh, their captain was strong. Their captain was powerful. Their captain was competent. You see, the Christian message wasn't first given to shepherds in the fields keeping watch or their sheep by night. Yes, they were the guys that first heard once the baby had been born in Bethlehem. But no, it was given to two women who were of low estate, two women who had you and I been living then would have thought, yeah, I mean, they're nice and everything, but there's nothing really all that special about them. If I were to pick a team they probably wouldn't be on it. It is these two women who are among the first to receive the Christmas message and invited to participate in it being revealed to the world because they were righteous in the eyes of the same God who called out of Israel this nothing tribe to be His people, who laid to waste their enemies and blessed them as they believed His revealed word. Friends, to believe and to receive the Christmas message as Mary did. As Elizabeth understood, we too are to be of low estate. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's not the healthy that need a physician, right? It's the sick. To receive the blessings that are tied up in Christmas, we cannot think that we are anything But that God is everything. We cannot be proud in our hearts. For God knows our hearts. We cannot claim possession or position. For what does God not own? And what possession impresses He whose footstool is the earth and everything in it? What command can we boast before men? Or boast before God? Who causes all things and sustains all things by His word. My soul magnifies the Lord, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant, and holy is His name. The nature of the incarnation, in the coming of Christ, in God the Son taking on flesh, something is being revealed about God here, who He is. He's not the kind of powerful important, impressive man of stature that you and I see in the world around us. He has no crew made up of A-list celebrities that follow him around. No, he has fishermen, rebels and tax collectors, sinners, outcast women. He holds no press conference proclaiming his next great feat. No, he heals the sick, and then he says... Tell no one. He dines at no fancy restaurants, but instead he eats with sinners and he has pity on the crowds that are hungry and he feeds them. He doesn't have a slate of people that are ready to make sure he's always comfortable, that are there to serve him. No, he takes a bowl of water, he removes his garment, and he washes the feet of those he came to save. He has no tower boasting his name in gold letters. Instead, the only thing that bears his name is a cross with the mocking inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The nature of the incarnation, the coming of Christ in the Son of God, taking on flesh, reveals something about God, and we hear it in the words of Mary's song. He is mighty, He is holy, and He takes those who are lowly into His care and makes them great for His glory. The incarnation Christ, the Christmas God offers us in Christ is for those who know they have nothing. And on the merits of their nothing, in Christmas, they are granted the promise of everything eternal. In fact, singing the praises of God, look look to verse 50. Look at what Mary, the mother of Jesus, says of our God. forever Do you see what this says about our God? Look in verse 50, He is merciful. In verse 51, he is strong. In verse 52, he is mightier than the mighty. In verse 53, he is good and he is just. In verse 54, he is a helper and he does not forget his promises. In verse 55, he is the ruler that will rule for all time, forever. There is no one greater. God is all of these things. But interwoven in the, in the description of all of these things, in all of these aspects of praise of who God is, are elements of warning. Verse 51 warns of those with proud thoughts in their heart. Aren't I great? God is good in everything, sort of a, a pastor emeritus around, should I need him. But I'm pretty sure I've got things covered. My health is good, my wallet's full, and I'll be just fine. God scatters such people. God scatters such people. In verse 52, there is a warning against those who rest in their position. Be it in the world or even in the church, God has brought them down for His purposes before, and He will do it again. In verse 53, we're warned concerning wealth. We can't take it with us. And there is no amount that we can amass that can earn the righteousness only afforded those who have placed their faith in the working of Christ and Christ alone. In verse 54 and 55, we are warned that God's word will ring true for all eternity. And the proud of heart, those finding themselves temporarily upheld by their wealth, Or their health or position will know in devastating reality that he is strong and he is mighty and he is just. And they will know this reality forever apart from him and his holiness. It's kind of funny to think about a passage like this one, one with so much warning woven into it to be one of praise. But it is. It is a song of praise because it speaks truth about God's character and how He shows mercy to the humble. He grants good things to the hungry and is a helper to those in need. Mary accurately knows who she is in light of who God is because she spent time to know what God's Word says. In fact, her language in her song is very reminiscent of several Old Testament passages. And it indicates that she had, in some form, been a student of the Word. Now, it's very unlikely, given her age and the fact that she was a a woman, a young woman, that she would have had any kind of formal teaching in the Scriptures. Though the Scriptures were taught openly to the people of God, and what she heard along the way she had clearly stored in her heart. For when the time of praise came, out poured the scriptures of old. In verse 48, look there, where she claims her position as lowly. It is a mere reflection of Hannah's psalm of praise in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where the mother of Samuel, a boy who had become a great prophet of God, who had been set aside to direct and warn God's people, was dedicated at the temple. Later in verse 52 of our passage, the same passage in 1 Samuel is reflected in her description of God's character. His might and how he lifts up the lowly and turns down the proud. Mary's song of praise tells us that she knows who she is in light of who God is because she knew God's word and believed it to be true. What kind of things come to your lips What thoughts come to your mind when good things happen, let alone when great things come to pass? Are they words directed to glory, God? Are they thoughts which cause your heart to be filled with joy of God's provision? Do the songs of praise written by old prophets find a place in your speech? Or are your thoughts and your words of praise revealed for yourself? Are they about you or the mortals around you? Mary's example of a lowly estate is to raise the name of God Almighty in a voice of praise. And it should be ours as well. Now seeing as this is the longest dialogue we have of Mary, it's one of the few Psalms that actually exist in the New Testament. We haven't said much about Mary as a unique person in all of this yet. For a woman of such traits, you'd expect that we'd actually know a lot more about her. We'd speak of her frequently, remember her fondly. I mean, she has all sorts of schools named after her, right? She's all over the place. But for Mary, the mother of Jesus, very little is actually known. Aside from Christmas, she doesn't often get spoken of, and the remembering we have of her relates more to the functional role she played in birthing the Messiah than in the character she possessed or the heart of worship she espoused. But in reality, she is a woman who holds the most unique role of being a mom amidst all the moms that have ever lived. And because of this, she is esteemed by many, and she should be, venerated by some, and holds the name that, since we started recording how many people get this name, Uh, Girls have been given the most name, Mary. It's like four to one since we started recording this. There's a ton of Marys out there. But what we know of her in Scripture is this. None of those things that raise her up would have mattered at all to her. Notice what her response is to Elizabeth's proclamation of blessing upon her. Elizabeth blesses her in verse 42. Look there, it says, Blessed are you among women. And again, in verse 45, it says, Blessed is she who believed. I mean, even Mary gets that she's blessed. Even Mary gets that she is unique. That she has been given a unique task. That she's been uniquely called of God. Look at verse 48. She says, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And what is her response to all of this? Yes, I'm so great. Everyone will remember me. Look what God has done. I have this wonderful role. No. Instead, she cries out, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in who God, who is what? My Savior. All generations will call me blessed. Why? Because He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is His name. At no no point and in no way does Mary ever assume she's anything other than that which God has deemed her to be. At no point does she ever bring glory to herself. Because just like you and I, she was keenly aware that she too was in need of a Savior. And so while we are aren't a people who pray to Mary. We aren't a people who are to worship her or venerate her. She's also not someone who we are to avoid. She's not someone we are to feel awkward speaking about. Like the psalmist David, Mary too was someone after God's own heart. And so we need to remember her as a woman who was unique and wonderfully blessed, who provides us with a tremendous example of what it means to turn our blessing back into praise. Mary, the mother of Jesus, should be imitated by men, women, and children alike at all times of the year. Why? Because the blessing that she received caused her to sing God's praise that He is holy and He is mighty and He is strong and merciful and faithful and it should cause us to praise as well. I I began by making a fairly bold claim that I didn't believe Christmas was for everyone. I should say, though, that for anyone... For any, of, for any of us, for any of us who are humble before God, this passage should cause us no fear, but instead bolster the claims of God himself in your heart, in Christ. The Holy Spirit that God has placed as a seal on your life isn't going anywhere. But for you, church, for us together, these next words are still good for us to hear. Good for you to hear, good for me to hear. What Christmas embodies in the gospel, that Christ came to save sinners, this cannot be claimed by people who are unwilling to acknowledge that they are sinners. Those who are proud, self-reliant, and self-righteous. Those who see themselves as having no need of a savior. Christmas is only rightfully claimed by those of low estate. Uh, Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, if I'm honest, I've not thought of Christmas as coming to the lowly before. I like the Charlie Brown version a bit more. It's happy, it's joyous, and it's for everyone. Let's just leave the lowly part out of it. But you do know your own heart. And maybe it is proud, and maybe it is self-reliant, and maybe it is self-sufficient. If that's the case, then let me say this to you. The warnings contained in Mary's song of praise are rightly felt and owned by you now. But in her song of praise, there is also hope. With God, there is always hope, always. You are never too far from His grace. You have never run so far as to not be found. You know, God's Word tells us something else about God's character. It tells us, just like our passage today, that He is faithful and He is just. And He tells us that if we confess our sins that He is faithful and just, and that He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, cleanse us from all of those ways in which we are anything but of low esteem. God says that if you would humble yourself and accept Christ's coming and His sacrifice for your sin, then He'll forgive you. And then Christmas will be for you. And in this season, like Mary, you will sing a song of praise for all that He is and all that he has done. In our passage today we first saw Mary talking about how God blessed her and lifted her up because of not because of her own greatness, but because God is great. Next she described how God worked throughout time, how God has taken things and the things that the world values and turned them upside down, showing the things that God values, are those who are humble, those who are reliant on his mercy course, which is completely contrary to what we see in the world around us. Then she says in Christmas, the advent of Christ, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham and Israel and ultimately to all of us, all of us who would believe the gospel, a gospel that she didn't fully understand, but that she believed by the word of the angel that her own salvation would come from the child in her womb. This is is a miraculous plan of salvation that spans the entirety of time. And is for those who would believe God at his word. Those who are of low estate. If you identify in your heart as Mary did, as one of low estate, who brings nothing but needs everything, who isn't proud, who doesn't rest in their wealth, who realizes that no earthly possession that you may amass has any eternal value. And Christmas is for you. And it will cause you to praise God. May that be true for you today. And may we be a people who praise the eternal God together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of humility. And rightly directed praise that Mary is for us. Thank you that we share in the same salvation she received in Christ. Make us aware, make us aware in our own leanings to trust in ourselves as we so often do, in our own possession and in our own position. Just make us aware of that, God, and by your Holy Spirit, tune our hearts to sing your praise. We ask these things for the good of us, your people, and for the glory of your name. Amen.